everyone on Chef AJ's uh, YouTube channel. Thank you for having me. My name is uh, Dr. Colin Zhu and happy Saturday, April 1st. Uh, some of you are watching this live, some of you are going to watch this afterwards and uh, really grateful and humbled and honored again to be on Chef AJ's uh, show. And uh, yeah, I have a special uh, talk prepared for you guys. You know, I'm uh, really humbled for Chef AJ to have me on her monthly spot. And last time we had a talk, today we're going to have a talk as well. And uh, the next two times I'm going to uh, definitely do live demos, I promise. But I wanted to kind of wrap up in a way, connect the last lecture to this lecture, because I think this talk is very, very important. And it really just kind of, you know, as a highlight to the broader uh, picture of everything. So my presentation today is rooted in plants and planet. And um, a lot of times, um, and a lot of guests of Chef AJ, you know, are really esteemed colleagues and really breaking down the science, breaking down the different components of health and disease and chronic disease and the ins and outs of different types of eating patterns. But I think it's also important to really talk about how we eat on individual level and how that connects in our food choice and how that connects more broadly to the wider uh, picture. So a lot of the themes that we're going to be talking about today is really the connection of our food choices, our eating patterns, and as important it is and essential to talk about that, how does that connect? Okay, so doing a little bit different today. And uh, stay tuned to the end. I have a couple of announcements, so you don't want to miss this. And also, you know, we have a lot of slides, so I will do my best to be as expedient as possible, be concise, but also be efficient. All right, so here we go. So what does it mean to have health, right? Um, when you think about this question, you want to break it down. How would you define health? Is health defined as the absence of disease? Or is it, okay, let me just eat as you know, well as I can, let me move my body. What does health mean? Does health mean just mental health? Is it all the above? So I want you to think about that a little bit. I'm going to show you some pictures. Um, does health mean, you know, moving your body? Like I said, you know, does it mean getting a good enough sleep or does it mean, you know, having that social connection and connecting and being involved in a community, just like Chef Adria has built um, over time. And I want you to take a couple looks at this two words, okay, that, that I have on the screen, okay? There's illness and then there's wellness, right? And so I want you to think about how similar they are and then also how dissimilar they are, right? And then, you know, why would I put this up and what does it mean, right? Now, take a look at this and then see what happens when I do this. I break it apart, okay? Does anyone see, you know, what the differences are now? On your left-hand side, you see that illness, there's I. And then on wellness, there's we. One of the things we want to think about is that our health and disease that happens when we have poor health does not operate in silos. There's a lot of different pieces. There's a lot of different components that happen under the hood. But there are a lot of different things that happen outside of our body that interplay. You know, there is a internal and an external um, environment that we interplay with the rest of the world. And the we, I find this to be quite, uh, you know, poignant is the fact that, you know, when you have illness, there's an I and when you have wellness, there's a we. So there's a sense of togetherness and there's a sense of connectedness with the greater whole. And I want you to kind of to have that as a food for thought. So I want you to look at, you know, these stats. Um, these are the latest CDC stats in 2021 and you have one through 10. Okay. 
Still the top two are heart disease and cancer, okay? What's newer is COVID, okay? As we know, and as the rest of the world knows that, you know, COVID has definitely rampaged, you know, this planet in very, very different ways, okay? And then you also have, you know, accidents, strokes, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, diabetes, liver, and kidney disease, right? And I want you to kind of look at it and, you know, ask yourself, is there a diet slash lifestyle component related to any of these? Okay. And then uh, another food for thought is the fact that 90% of our nation's 4.1 trillion expenditures are with people and involved with people with chronic and mental health conditions. Now, when we break down COVID even more, what we tend to find over time and from the stats and data we've collected is that when we have certain medical conditions, it gives us a higher risk for COVID, asthma, cancer, okay, kidney disease, liver disease, okay, cognitive decline, diabetes, heart conditions, carrying extra weight, right, and smoking. So do you see similar themes, you know, with this, uh, you know, with also the top, you know, 10 causes of death, right? And so there are, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy diet and lifestyle influences with most of these, okay? And so, my point is, is that we have the ability to take control of our health, to be empowered by us, empowered by it, you know, if we have the right tools, information, and awareness. And what's interesting is that when the pandemic first started, you know, there's always breaking news on CNN, right? Always these stats, these climbing stats of COVID, okay? Which I'm not trying to, to downplay or to, you know, underestimate it by any means, but Every single year from the 1950s, okay, um, heart disease has always been number one, okay? And when you combine heart disease and stroke, it takes almost about 900,000 Americans every single year. And it costs the healthcare system $216 billion per year, okay? And also the indirect effects is job productivity, okay? The economic effects, okay, that we don't talk about as much but it affects us as much in the community. A quote by Hippocrates, a lot, you know, we, we uh, see Hippocrates as the founder of modern medicine. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. So let me reintroduce myself. You know, my name is Dr. Colin Zhu. I'm the founder of The Chef Doc. I was born to two immigrant uh, parents. They've taught me the values of compassion, authenticity, and integrity. Double boarded in family and lifestyle medicine. Found that my edu education gave me very little in terms of diet and lifestyle curricula. And every patient that walked through our doors, whether it's a chief complaint of cough or low back pain, had some sort of lifestyle risk factor attached to them. So I made a lot of detours. I went to culinary school, uh, got sort of a health coaching, and then I just made it my mission to really uh, teach, educate, and inspire and empower others. And so the chef doc was born in 2017. I learned a lot about food through my different experiences. I realized that you know, no matter where you are in the kitchen, there's always something to learn. Um, including myself, you know, I'm constantly learning, constantly, you know, putting a lot more in my own repertoire. And it's very important to feel that, you know, you have these tools and education to empower others. And also when as a practitioner of lifestyle medicine, I'm using lifestyle evidence-based lifestyle approaches to prevent, treat and reverse disease. You realize that it's really a profession of accountability and it's important to practice what you preach. So I always walk my talk. Okay. 
These are my fellow um, healthcare staff and professionals. This was a job that I did in a Indian health reservation. And so I was walking, you know, post-lunch um, around the reservation. My culinary experiences um, really stem from my parents, you know, uh, both cooking at the same time. And it really improved my experiences and my, you know, uh, confidence and comfort level in terms of the kitchen. And then I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute, uh, which has been a plant-based and health-supportive school, really gave me the foundation to really cook for myself, cook my family, but also, you know, teach others in terms of how, how to arming, arm themselves. Uh, this is me teaching at a national conference for healthcare professionals. How I relate back to, you know, the world is the fact that with my own personal and professional experiences, I traveled a lot as well. And uh, humble to say that I've touched every single continent on the planet. And um, there's a very important factor to this. It allows me to, you know, go outside my comfort levels. It allows me to uh, respect and accept people where they're at, uh, learn about how people learn, uh, live their lives. And it taught me a lot about global citizenship and how I'm just one person um, out of what is now 7.8 billion people on the planet. And um, I also was able to witness firsthand, you know, observations of climate change. I also am a certified scuba diver. What did my scuba experiences uh, teach me? Well, it taught me a lot about, you know, my place of Zen. Uh, I find it very peaceful to be underwater uh, without noise. The only noise that I hear is just bubbles. And there's a lot of the ocean uh, floor, which takes up two thirds of planet earth. And yet, 80% of the ocean is unmapped, unexplored, and undiscovered, which is quite, you know, astonishing to me, especially since we're putting so much money going into outer space. And then from here, I've also uh, witnessed firsthand experience of coral bleaching, which is a direct um, effect of climate change as well. So how do food trends impact um, on a global scale? And this is where we go to high level from a 35, you know, thousand feet level viewpoint quick example about how our environment interplays with us. This was taken um, out of uh, One Health or Journal. This was literally recently at the end of February of the, this year that was published. And this is a simple example of how, for example, zoonotic um, infections and cross-contaminate and, you know, affect us. And this journal just highlights the amount of asymptomatic bacterial infections that affect our urine, which gives us urinary tract infections, and then can lead to more complicated issues. And this is a result of foodborne issues. And I treat UTIs all the time. So um, it's very, very important. This is just a simple example of how, you know, the food environments and agricultural environments uh, interplay with us. On a high level, overall, our global diet, you know, so going, scanning outwardly and going outside of the United States, we've done a systematic analysis over 195 countries from 1990 to 2017. And dietary risk um, is responsible for millions of deaths. Also, cardiovascular disease is a leading cause of death, followed by cancer. I recently interviewed a breast oncologist on my podcast, and she says globally, cancer is one out of six responsible for deaths, okay? This assessment shows that, you know, when you're eating mostly a diet high in sodium, low in whole grains, low in uh, fruit, low in nuts and seeds, and low in vegetables and uh, omega-3 fatty acids, it's responsible for a lot of premature deaths. How do our choices impact the rest of the world? I want you to think about this in terms of a spider web and how when you touch on one end of the spider web, it 
reverberates and connects to the other end. And this has a lot to do about how we use our um, actual land and conventional and modern agricultural practices. And this direct effect from these uh, conventional and current practices affects climate change, biodiversity, the degradation of land and soil, and depletion of fresh water. And a lot of evidence has been showing that, you know, our uh, greenhouse gases and the emission of these greenhouse gases is not making this environmentally sustainable. A resilience expert out of Stockholm, uh, Carl Folk, coined the term planetary stewardship. And this was very interesting to me because no matter what color you are, what language you speak, what you eat, where you come from, how you live your life, we all have a duty and responsibility for the planet because we simply, because we all live on the same planet. And to be able to uh, say that your individual choices don't matter could be further from the truth. And it just depends on how you look at, you know, different lenses. The current state of the world is that we're in a very critical decade. And um, the Paris Agreement, for those who are not familiar with it, is that we have to limit our um, levels of global uh, temperatures to no more than, you know, two degrees Celsius. Okay. And we're actually getting really close to that. Um, the recent climate summit in Egypt says that, you know, we are making progress in terms of adaptation, but we're not, you know, at the scale and speed necessary. And that becomes a huge, huge problems for future generations. How we choose to eat affects our land. Their current land impact, 70% of the Earth's agricultural land is used for livestock. 30% of our land mass is also used for livestock. And not really a problem for, you know, the audience of Chef AJ's, right? But if you know of someone that eats and, um, you know, eats uh, the standard American diet, to sustain one person on that diet, you need three football fields, which is really, really astonishing. And if we were to reduce, you know, by going more plant-based, um, we're able you know, if you're just reducing and using just 50% of that land, you know, we're able to save a lot, you know, and it's quite an impact. This is a graph, you know, in terms of highlighting different types of, you know, different types of animal uh, proteins um, versus uh, produce uh, that we, you know, make in this country and how much land that's actually used. Um, if you can't see that, you know, you, from the top to the bottom, you have lamb, beef, cheese, milk, beef, pork. And then as you go down the list, it becomes more um, plant-based. What I find over time and being a family practitioner and going around lecturing and public speaking is that people have a disconnect. And the big picture is, is that we're missing this disconnection between what where is food sourced from and how it arrives to our plate. Okay. And the big picture is, is that we have a huge demand for eating meat. And, you know, and because of this, we need to, to meet that demand, you have to be able to have livestock graze and live off of the land. And, you know, we don't have that land. So you have to mow down and break and mow down force. And that leads to replacement of crops for animal feeds. Okay. So a lot of that land is actually going towards, you know, livestock. A lot of the land and the food that we grow, you know, being that corn, soy, you know, soybean are the top two in this country go towards animal feeds, not even towards human consumption. And then, you know, you are replacing crops for animal feeds, animal graze on these grounds, they're trucked to slaughterhouses, and then these products are trucked to groceries and restaurants, and that's how they end up on our plates. Again, it's not so much for this audience, but again, it's really about understanding, connecting dots, and looking at the big picture. How we choose to eat affects our water. 
The seafood impact. So this is near and dear to my heart because, you know, as a certified, certified uh, scuba diver, you know, I've witnessed firsthand, you know, coral bleaching and it's really, um, it's really sobering, um, unfortunately. And there's just so much life, you know, underwater and we're, you know, constantly destroying it. A couple examples of how we impact this is that factory farm waste runoff contaminates our rivers, tributaries, lakes, um, oceans. A lot of, you know, the actual grain and corn that is needing to grow to meet the meat demands to feed the livestock, it uses a massive amount of water input, okay? And then also we have a huge demand of seafood and we're taking more seafood out of the oceans than the oceans can replenish. And by some estimates, by 2048, all of the world's fisheries could collapse. This is a graph showing water production used uh, for livestock and produce. So for the far end to the right, to be able to produce one pound of steak, you need 2,046 gallons of water. How we choose to eat affects our air. So in the middle of America, this is where factory farming uh, happens. We have things called CAFOs, concentrated animal feeding operations. And um, it's set up in the middle of America. And it's done in a way where people don't really notice, you know, a lot of the population kind of sits around, you know, coastal areas. And there's a problem with this because, you know, when you're factory farming, um, it takes a toll on local communities. Dangerous gases like ammonia, methane, and hydrogen sulfide are waste breakdown products, and it causes chronic illnesses and neurological problems, okay? And not surprisingly, people of color are disproportionately impacted by this because they're actually closer to these CAFOs than our, you know, than white counterparts. And from 1960 to 2016, just a stat, 215% increase of chicken eaten, and uh, we raised 9 billion chickens annually and we produce 22.5 billion pounds of poop from these chickens how we choose to eat affects climate i used to work in louisiana i used to work specifically in new orleans beautiful beautiful city and it's a low-lying part of the united states a lot of the cities along the Gulf um, are affected by this. You know, Hurricane Katrina, um, tropical storms face Florida. And very soon, a lot of these cities will be submerged underwater if we don't, you know, do something for climate. If you take nothing else from this slide, just know that industrial animal agriculture contributes to more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector combined. And this means trains, planes, cars, trucks, and ships. These are CO2 emissions from food. You know, a lot of uh, beef, cheese, pork, salmon, poultry, canned tuna are on the highest in terms of CO2, uh, CO2 emissions. So this begs the question, how can we feed a growing human population and still be able to meet planetary boundaries that is safe and sustainable? There's estimates by the United Nations that we're going to be reaching towards 10 billion by 2050. Okay. And there's a report, a commission report um, that says that unhealthy diets pose a greater risk to morbidity, mortality, than does unsafe sex, alcohol, drug, and tobacco use combined. And so because of this, much of the world's population is inadequately nourished and many environmental systems and processes are pushed beyond safe boundaries um, by food production. A global transformation of the food system is urgently needed. So there was something called the Eat Lancet Report, and there was a whole commission, and this was released in 2019. And this was the first time that the scientific community came together to define what is safe, what is sustainable, and you know what can we do that we can uh, recommend to be able to feed people 
a growing population, and also sustain Mother Earth. And they recommended a flexitarian diet. Okay. And I know that the audience of Chef AJ are more proponents of, you know, a vegan, low fat, you know, whole food plant based diet. But, you know, this is a shift in the right direction because it's dramatically, um, you know, eating less because not every pocket of the world um, has the same ecosystem, same environment. Okay. And so, you know, diets are going to be uh, different. But they did advise eating five servings of meat or fish per week. And then heavily emphasizing a lot more nuts and uh, nuts and legumes, fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. This is a study that just literally came out uh, last month in the Journal of Nutrition, just looking at a review of the environmental sustainability of plant-based diet, uh, dietary patterns. And the results um, have been uh, favorable, saying that you know by shifting more for a plant-based diet, it does offer less greenhouse gas emissions, land use, biodiversity loss than offered by other standard diets. We don't know how much of the water energy impact use because it depends on the different types of plant-based diets. Okay. So what do we do as um, individuals? What do we do as a community? Action steps, you know, you have a wealth of resources and lectures and great video content here at Chef AJ, but also be reminded that, you know, you can do a lot, you know, and the biggest thing is voting and voting and buying with your fork. Voting and buying with your fork is a vote towards, you know, eating more plants and buying from, you know, uh, local farmers, okay, uh, vegetable growers, okay, things like that. Join a community sustainable agriculture, you know, a home food delivery. And most importantly is to also reduce food waste, okay, and we'll talk about that in two seconds, recycle and compost, and then, you know, a great idea would be growing your own food. You can even start with just a culinary herb garden. From the um, commission report, they also recommended that uh, food waste at every stage, okay, from the manufacturing, the processing, to the grocers, to, you know, how it arrives to your plate and the fridge. Americans waste up to 40% um, of food, okay? And that's a drastic number. This alone accounts for 6 to 8% of greenhouse gases. And we have to be able to shift our farming practices from a emitting carbon to sequestering carbon, okay? And by growing more, okay, especially trees, okay, and shifting our, um, you know, the way we handle our ocean waters, we have a great, great opportunity to be able to trap carbon. Okay. Also circulate nutrients, then polluting and saving water. Okay. And this is in the form of regenerative and sustainable farming practices. Here's a, um, an example that I highlight. I personally went to this farm and toured them. Um, they were very gracious uh, to allow me to tour their farm and grace and, um, you know, film and interview. So I interviewed different types of uh, people there, uh, including the co-founder and uh, CEO, and they are originally vegetable growers. Um, they're located in northern Ohio. They've been around for 30 plus years, two generations, and they practice regenerative sustainable agriculture. Over the pandemic, they have shifted to uh, delivering food boxes, which is a great way of getting the most nutritious food produce. And so, you know, an apple today and your conventional produce is not the same as an apple 50 years ago. Okay. We have a lot of nutrient loss. 
mostly because of the fact of, you know, whether you're practicing non-organic GMO type of uh, farming, in addition to conventional farming as well, you're, you're losing a lot of nutrients and they have their own lab there, which I found really unique. And they have their own culinary Institute um, on the farming grounds, which I also found super unique. Okay. And um, their labs, I find that, you know, they told me that their produce is three to 600 times more nutritious than the actual food that you go to your local markets. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit is, you know, we have to think about our healthcare provider, okay, and what they're offering. So consider a few things. And this is a, you know, pretty uh, interesting uh, image that I, you know, found off of social media. If your doctor prescribes you medication without first asking about your diet, your sleep, your exercise routine, your water consumption, whether you have any structural issues and or the stress in your life, then you don't have a doctor, you have a drug dealer, Okay. Not to poke fun at my, you know, medical colleagues, but it's, you know, it's true. We're not really equipped, very ill-prepared with, you know, nutrition, diet, lifestyle, you know, and it really detriments us, okay? This is a cartoon. Are you eating properly and getting plenty of exercise? This is very important because practicing lifestyle medicine, like I said, is really a, a profession of accountability and practicing what you preach. Studies have shown that, you know, uh, patients still want to go to their doctor to be able to make these diet and lifestyle changes. Of course, nowadays, you know, a a lot of us Google everything first, but, you know, we still would like to turn to our, you know, physician for the most up-to-date nutritional and lifestyle education and information. It wasn't too long ago. I did not grow up in this uh, time period where doctors actually advertised, you know, for, uh, for smoking, which is not that long ago. And so if we're able to drastically reduce and uh, be able to publicly aware about the dangerous effects of uh, smoking, we can do the same thing, you know, with food. I want to highlight another example of, you know, uh, people of uh, doctor colleagues that are doing great things. This is my good friend, Dr. Robert Graham. He's in New York City. Uh, This is a few years back where he started the first um, edible and educational rooftop garden on top of a hospital. And what's cool about this is that the produce that they created and grown um, off of that rooftop goes into the hospital cafeteria, which literally goes to the patients. And they and the patients were literally eating the fruit of their own labor. So these are a you know list of doctors that I work with. You know, we were originally plant-based telehealth. We are now Love Life Telehealth. The you know founder of uh, Whole Food Markets, John Mackey, you know, has uh, decided to create a new venture, and we are working with him in terms of delivering solid healthcare, in terms of lifestyle uh, medicine, in terms of plant-based nutrition. So if you are needing a lifestyle medicine plant-based you know physician, you can find us on Love Life, uh, which is the new company, and I'll be able to give you you know websites in terms of how to access and uh, just making sure sure that you are listed, you are physically in the state that we are licensed in. So that's just a caveat. For me personally, you know, I always, you know, want to be able to empower patients to go back into their kitchen to take back their health. That's super, super important. And, you know, it's really a learning about food and what's the best way to learn about it, experimenting with yourself, you know, experimenting with others, not being afraid of messing up, 
practicing the art of winging it. Nothing is perfect the first time and understanding that it's not the cooking process. It's really the meal prep. And so if you can organize, have a process, have a system in play, you'll be able to um, be successful. And what do I teach to my own patients? You know, shopping along the perimeter of the supermarket, learning about the produce aisle, learning about the nutrition label, learning about different types of, you know, places to source your food. Okay. Just a few concepts that I teach. More action steps, you know, Chef AJ's audience is very varied. You have health coaches here, physicians, chefs, community members, and people from the healthcare system. It's really about, you know, spreading awareness, giving talks, learning about food, learning how to cook, okay, and just, just being involved. And at the end of the day, um, when we're talking about our individual health and how that relates to the greater whole in terms of planetary health, okay, it's not just about, you know, food as medicine, but it's also about uh, different pillars. And this is talking about self-care. This is talking about being part of a community. This is talking about the quality of relationships, okay? Moving our body, okay? Getting in touch with nature and practicing resilience, learning how to pivot. Okay. One of the things, you know, that I definitely want to share is that, you know, uh, for those of you who've been following, uh, we just launched uh, the ChefDoc app. You know, we are having all of our resources under one roof. You can download it on your, you know, Apple um, stores as well as your Google Play stores. And our aim is to really arm, you know, the end user with educational resources. There's video content there, audio content there. We have um, the first 150 um, episodes of the podcast there. And we are also rolling out coaching services. Okay. So if you want to have more guidance, you know, we are going to offer um, coaching services soon, uh, group coaching, as well as one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Okay. And we also have a social responsibility. Part of, you know, um, the chef doc is also being socially responsible, like I said, with this lecture. And I've partnered with One Tree Planted as well as Sea Trees. And so basically every dollar that is generated from the proceeds of the app goes towards planting a tree on land, as well as planting a sea tree, okay, a coral reef, okay, a mangrove, okay, kelp, goes towards planting this back into the soil, as well as back into the ocean, because that's the best way of one of the best ways of trapping carbon. So we could, you know, help with the climate change. So we're uh, dedicating 10% of the proceeds that are generated from the app to go towards um, in helping these nonprofit organizations. So the best way to contact us is um, that email team at the chefdoc.app. That's the um, website, okay? All of the information, including the telehealth, telecoaching services can be found um, through that website. And if you want to uh, download you know, the app, you can just open up your camera and then just scan that QR code right now and you know, be able to download it. It is free to download. Um, there are free lessons, okay? And if you have any questions, just let us know. And I, you know, thank Chef AJ uh, so much uh, for having me. And um, I can't wait to uh, see you guys for the live demo. I definitely have something planned for you guys for the next show. And be safe, health is wealth, and continue to thrive. And thank you so, so much uh, to everyone that uh, decided to watch in and spend a few moments with us today. And thank you. Thank you so much, Chef AJ. Bye-bye.